You are listening to Three Moves Ahead, the official podcast of FlasherSteel.com. I am your host, Troy Goodfellow, and with me today are my PAX-attending colleagues and panelists, uh, freelance writer Julian Murdoch. Hello, everyone. Who was a speaker at, he had a speaker badge at PAX East. Which is and, way better than actually having a press badge, it turns way out. Way better than having a press badge. And freelance writer Rob Zachney. Good evening. Who had a I am attending badge. Yes. <laughs> Which is also better than a press badge. What? No. I'm skeptical of that because in my case, the I am attending badge often meant that I did not attend things. Well, but but you uh, with the press badge, you actually were not eligible to enter any official event. Like the contests and stuff. Like, yeah, you couldn't actually enter contests. You couldn't win anything. You couldn't right. join the Omega Knots if you had a press badge, etc. Oh, my God, the Omega Knots. Omega Thon, people. Omega Thon. No, no to, but to get the Omega Knot sticker or badge or whatever oh, it was, okay. it was like the golden ticket in Willy Wonka's factory. Everybody wanted to be in that final round. Uh, not me. I would have been humiliated. Yeah, me too. Collect 50 coins in Mario? Well, that'll take me a year. <laughs> I was gonna, yeah, it would be a... No, they, had none, no, they didn't have Rise of Nations. I would have kicked ass at that. <laughs> it's they, all going to be stuff you can play in eight seconds or less, though. I can lose any game in eight seconds or less. As StarCraft 2 attests. Shut up. There you go. Up, yeah, I am no good at StarCraft 2. Uh, yeah, we're back from PAX, and this week's topic was supposed to be the Imperialism games, uh, but we can't really do those without Dr. Bruce Garrick. And Bruce, his schedule, once again, is means an extended absence uh, from Three Moves Ahead. I know many of our listeners are big fans of Bruce. So am I. He is not gone from the show. Uh, he will be back. We're just trying to find a way to work him in so we can have a long discussion on why the Imperialism games are underrated, special, and cute. Some of our favorite games. So they will be back, and then we'll talk about that. So this week, uh, Julian, Rob, and I are just going to talk about stuff we saw at PAX East, some of the strategy and board game stuff especially. Uh, there wasn't a lot of strategy game things going on, but there was enough uh, to at least keep me interested, to not be entirely bored by Mafia 2 and Red Dead Redemption, though of course I did find them boring because they're not... Uh, in my neck of the woods. Uh, let's start with you, Julia. I mean, you're a big board gamer, bigger board gamer than I are. I am. And you had a friend who was trying to sell his game. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, so uh, more than, more than well, <clears throat> a few things. So, so the guy's name is Colby Dutch, and he uh, is the really the main designer on HeroScape, which I think we all know is sort of yep. beer and pretzels strategy game. <clears throat> He um he took over a lot of the core design when it moved from Hasbro over to Watsi. Um he had been part of like the heavy play test circuit. And he's he's quite a gifted designer and and he was selling Summoner Wars, which is the first game that he's made, sort of on his own, underneath his own umbrella, which is Plaid Hat Games. Um and it's quite good. I mean, it's designed to be a light beer and pretzel strategy game. Um and that's exactly what it is. You can sort of play in uh twenty minutes maybe. Um, and it, it sort of has some territory control elements, some um, mild card mechanics. It reminds me more probably of like a Richard Board game, sort of like uh, like Memoir 44, than than anything else. Although it doesn't actually use miniatures, it uses cards as both the power system and the 
territory control system. Right. Um, but it's actually, I, I mean, he's been out with that game now since I think before Christmas. And I think he's, he's well through his print run. I mean, he's doing, he's, he's had very, very good success with it. It's been hugely well received. Um, because I think this is, uh, you know, this is a perennial problem in strategy games, not just board games, which is, right. is, you know, light strategy games that aren't, you know, light, spelled out in pink and spelled l-i-t-e you know <laughs> right <clears throat> you know and, and and to some extent i think uh we i think we have sort of a renaissance going on on lighter strategy games largely because um not just from the board game side but from you know all the various games that are showing up on the iphone and xbox live arcade and you know we've talked about things like uh uh toy soldiers and we've talked mm-hmm. about uh um, what's that other one? Uh, Greed Inc. Right? right. I mean, these are these are clearly light strategy games in the sense that they're not Europa Universalis, right? They're not going to take you forty five hours to play a game. Um, but I think there's a real demand for these, and so he was, you know, his is sort of an iteration of that in the board game space, and he seems to be doing pretty well with it. He had a great con. I mean, he sold yep. it, sold a ton of product, got a lot of great buzz. So, um, from his perspective, it was uh, it was a big risk for him because he's not a you know, it's not a video game, and he's one of a few. I mean, there were only like six or seven board game vendors there, so it was right. a big risk for him. There was a lot of board gaming going on. I mean, PAX is, I mean, it's part of the video game community thing. Uh, but there's really a lot of board gaming and tabletop stuff happening right in the same space, right. uh, which is, I think, very cool to have that stuff all in the same umbrella. Uh, and and, and given ahead. that there were lines for everything else, the fact that you could go walk into the giant board game library and say, you know what, I just want to play Munchkin for an hour and take it off the shelf, uh, I think probably alleviated a lot of frustration some people might have otherwise had. Did you, did you actually play anything? Uh, I played Zombie Dice, which is a new Steve Jackson, you know, goofy light game, as they seem to be making all the time these days. Um, there wasn't anything, like, new there that I hadn't seen before that I was hankering to play, and so I, I wasn't going to spend a ton of time there. The one thing that I did get a chance to sit down and play, which uh, I could talk about this for the next hour if you guys want to go, like, take a bathroom break, is I played Dungeons & Dragons on the Microsoft Surface. Uh, which was like a religious experience. Yeah, that was, is totally going to change the nature of board gaming as we know it. The Microsoft Surface, really? Well, just know that the the what what my friend Bill calls the digilog world, where you're taking analog components in, on right. a digital board space in a digital world, um, where you're taking all of the rules enforcement, all of the record keeping that makes playing you know computer games so great. Um, but you're adding back in those analog face-to-face elements that are really what make a social gaming experience around a table so so compelling. Um, and I tell you, I mean, it was like a, a I saw all the demos everybody else saw on YouTube. But mm. when you actually sit down and you pick up your little miniature figure and you move it across the map and you put it down and the fog of war changes and your line of sight changes and you know your targeting abilities change uh and then you uh you know choose an action and you click on the bad guy with your fingertip to draw the line of sight and it, it, I immediately was like, this is going to change board gaming and war gaming in particular as we know it, because it's not that far a leap to see where this goes in a few years. Right. I mean, right now it's right. a pipe dream. It's it's ten thousand dollars in software we can't afford, but it's pretty easy to see the extension from this to 
you know, everybody being able to just, you know, basically flop their TV down on flat and and play, you know, uh, some sort of hybrid game. And it just was such a compelling experience. I, I have a question about that. Um, did did you actually roll physical dice or was there a randomizer in the surface? No, the the problem with surface, right? And, and clearly this is just proof of concept stuff. The problem with surface is what what it actually does to recognize like physical objects is it really just has a camera underneath the table. And for the most part what it sees is the when you when you put your finger on the on the glass, it sees the impression of your finger on the glass and that's how it does the tracking. What the all of the objects that get put on the table have on their bottom a little uh, little optical circle that's got a pattern on it, and it can it can the surface can recognize up to I don't know a couple hundred different uh, little optical patterns. But basically, if it's not about an inch across and can take a sticker, it's not going to get recognized by the surface. So you can't take a die. Well, I mean, ideally, I know what you mean. You want to roll that 20-sided die, and you want it to be a real die. Yeah. You want it to go clink, clink, clink across the table, and when it comes up 19, exactly. the board mm-hmm. should know that was a 19, and here are the results, right? Yep. Instead, what they had was a little physical, I mean, a little virtual die that you sort of flick with your finger, um, which works fine, right? But it's new. You, obviously, yeah. that's the missing component, right? So, But it's part, early. It's early, and the parts of this that were physical were – the players' miniatures, a few of the larger monster monsters, like sort of iconic monsters, um, a few props and things. Um, you know, the controls themselves, like to move maps around, is right. actually done with a with a device that they stick on the table. Basically, you could anything you could put a sticker on, they'll just register that as the map controller. Um, and then everything else was rendered virtually. So if you're killing 50 goblins, the little goblins are all virtual. But if they want to put out a big dragon, they pick up the big dragon and they drop it in the table. So uh, it's it's the future. Totally. It's totally the future, you think? I do. I do think it's the future. It's a bigger future than Farmville. <laughs> Certainly a better one. Yeah, setting a brighter future than forever. It's actually, I think it's actually related because I think it gets back to that, to the roots of gaming, face-to-face gaming, which are fundamentally social, right? And that's PAX to me was entirely a social experience, right? I had much more fun hanging out with you guys and going to the Three Moves Ahead meetup and all of that than any actual games I played. Yeah, I played uh, very few games. I didn't have any time to do a lot of the board gaming stuff. I had... uh, uh, Meetings, I had appointments, I had stuff I had to see, I had parties, I had uh, a friend who was ill for part of the conference, I had to make sure uh, she was okay uh, a lot of the time. But it was, it's, PAX is, fan cons are so different. We don't talk about E3, we talk about GDC, PAX is really a fan convention. And there's really a different vibe going on at these things. Uh, there was, there weren't a lot of publishers there. Um, and it really wasn't about showing stuff to us, the media. Uh, I sat in a presentation for Civilization V uh, in a small, tiny little ad hoc theater they set up, and they're like five yeah. media. They're like five media guys, and they bring in like ten fans, and it's like, okay, I've never sat in a press demo with fans before. I've but it wasn't tied, really a press demo, was it? It really wasn't. I mean, they were talking. They were the media there. We had appointments. We came in. Then we were fans. Were lined up. They brought them in, and it was. I'm not going to sound like some arrogant twit and said, what were they doing in my meeting? You know, I made an appointment. Uh, I knew the other guys around. I didn't know who these people were. Um, 
and you know they asked questions and they oohed and they awed and it was there was nothing really new in the presentation uh, for CIF five. It was the same thing they gave at GDC. I asked for assets uh, to go with my preview, which will be going up on Game Shark. I have no idea when. Uh, hopefully soon. Um, so there's nothing really new they were showing. It was clearly a very well-done shtick, uh, and I'm not quite sure why they had the media there at all to show it. But it was a chance, you know, for the fans to see it in action, and I thought that was cool. Uh, because otherwise fans generally don't, they don't go to preview events. Um, it was quite a ways out. There wasn't anything, like I said, really new to see uh, for us. Uh, but or if you're reading the previews, but if you're a fan, you've heard of the Civilization series, and you don't stay up to date on all the computer news, and not everybody does for every game, I think that's a really neat opportunity, and I think that's something that PAX offers that the other bigger media-friendly cons really don't, and I thought that was really neat. Well, you're actually touching on something, like one of my PAX regrets, I suppose, right there, is, um, you know, I mean, you know, and not that it wasn't great hanging out with you guys, but one thing I kind of wished I'd done more is just go and enjoy the fan experience. Um, because I was so concerned with just like, you know, hanging out and like seeing, you know, what was there, um, and hanging out with, you know, other writers. Um, and I feel, you know, as, as I was hearing these stories after PAX ended, um, you know, it started to dawn on me that I really missed some fantastic fan moments, um, while I was doing other stuff. Um, you know, I was talking to, you know, a guy I know here in Boston, um, who'd made it into the PAX keynote and the first Penny Arcade panel. And I mean, there were there were a bunch of touching moments apparently, uh, like you know a woman in the uh, first Penny Arcade panel, um, you know was trying to explain what child's play meant to her because uh, she'd grown up in hospitals as a kid because she was very sick, um, and you know she was telling them that you know she knows that they can't possibly understand what the child's play charity actually means, um, right. but she wanted to try to get that across to them. Um, apparently just this, you know, wonderfully sweet moment. There were a bunch of those. Um, I don't know. So, I, you know, I think, you know, next year, um, because there, there wasn't a lot to see on the show floor this year. You know, I think if I do this next year, I think I'm definitely going to try to just, um, you know, go as a fan, soak up the atmosphere, uh, just enjoy myself a little more and be less concerned with trying to see new stuff. Yeah, I, I mean, I had some of those, those touching moments myself. I mean, I was in the, I was in the keynote, um, and, and it was awesome. And I wandered into the Jonathan Colton and Paul and Storm concert and was surprised at not so much that like a giant fan of the music, but just the, the vibe in the room was something I wanted to be around. It was like being, it was like walking into a tent revival in Texas or something like that, where the, 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 the positive vibe was so infectious. I just wanted to be part of it. And it made me feel like I was part of something. And I totally didn't expect that because I'm the most cynical bastard on the planet. So you are not, I am, I can be, you can be, but you're not. Um, so, I mean, I, I, I'm definitely with you. I mean, to me, like the, the highlights of the, of the con were definitely getting to meet, you know, listeners, getting to meet fans, getting to meet, um, you know, developers and colleagues that I hadn't met before in person, but knew from the internet, you know, finding out that Troy actually isn't a freak, things like that. Those were, those were important <laughs> moments for me. Wait, you found that out that he wasn't? No, Look, he's not. That's totally he's not nearly as freaky as he seems on the internet. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, it was great to meet. Uh, I, this is the first for listeners. This is the first time I'd met Julian Murdoch. Uh, 
and Rob Zachney, but Julian and I have been we've been emailing back and forth for years. Uh, I know that I've been following his work for a very long time, uh, and this is the first time we actually met in person. And you know, Julian's a good guy. He did for the gamer the gamers with jobs meetup, which was packed in a very tiny little corner. Uh, yes. so we didn't have a lot of time uh, to talk there. But then we did the Three Moves Ahead meetup on Sunday morning. Which I think we have to rename. I think we have to call – when we get together, yep. we can't call them meetups or get-togethers. Yep. I think from now on I want to call them strategy salons because <laughs> yes. that's what it was like. It, it wasn't really like was. – there, I mean there was like that one awkward moment of, oh, hi, you're this guy I listen to on the radio. And, oh, hi, you're somebody who listens to me on the radio. And that lasted – with every person who walked in, that lasted about, oh, 14 seconds. Yep. And then it would be immediately something like, well, do you think flanking bonuses in Civ Five are really going to matter? And then some discussion would go on for 15 minutes about what games represented flanking and position well or something like that. And we, I mean, and I ended up staying, you guys left, but I ended up staying with the stragglers for another hour. Wow. Um, and, and it was literally like we had this little salon about strategy gaming and it was awesome. And it was pretty small. It was like, I don't know, 12 a dozen of us people. Yeah, about, a, about a dozen of us, including, uh, some, we had the three of us. And uh, a couple of my writing colleagues, Megan from GameShark and Tiffany, formerly of CGM, now of Combo, uh, mostly uh, listeners of the show. And it was great. I mean, I wish I had more time to talk to everybody. I wish there were more room to walk around. I, I wish we could have recorded it because it was yeah. way more interesting than the stuff we talk about on this show. It so. really was. Now, the conversation was great. And you're right. They talked, to, they talked about diplomacy. We talked about uh, what else? You were, once again, pimping Sins of Solar Empire. Yeah, yeah, we talked I, about interface design quite a bit. Interface design, that's right. Uh, early on, you defended your Farmville comments again. Yes, I, I seem can, to end up doing that all the time. You, as you, as well, you should. You'd be carrying that cross. I, I want to be grave. clear that I don't think Farmville is a great game. I've never said that. You think I it's just, a harbinger of the future. Yes. Yes. Almost worse. Uh, but no, it was a wonderful, wonderful meetup. We really love our fans, and I was salon, able to, salon, salon, wonderful, very salon. wonderful salon discussion group seminar and uh i had a chance to pass out um first edition three moves ahead buttons designed by the handmade by the uh logo master of flash of steel and three moves ahead jennifer sparks uh i wasn't quite sure how people would show up so i thought i would have enough and i had just enough which means i don't have any for uh bruce or tom when i finally see them again so i'll have to somehow get a button for bruce or tom because you know they're bruce and tom yes, i don't I'll make them myself. Oh, they can but get tattoos. They can get tattoos, <laughs> yes. Now, uh, the, uh, the salon was great, and I understand that you're going to be trying to see them again, right, Rob? Uh, yeah, a few people gave me their contact info, and um, you know, I'm going to try to you know, do some... You know, I'm trying to get back into you know, board gaming and tabletop gaming. Uh, try to do some of that. Um, and I'm meeting up with another one of them later this week. I mean, it went awesome. so well that I'm going to have a local area group right where I am. I'm going to eventually, probably sometime in the summer, have a Washington, D.C., Maryland, Virginia, three moves ahead gathering uh, somewhere in D.C. Because I was so happy with how that went. And we have very good fans, and we love them. Um, and they had lots of great ideas. They had suggestions for the show. They had questions about the show. And that was all so great and awesome. I do want to talk about um, what I think was, for me, the biggest surprise of the game, of the uh, con, and that was a game that, you know, it's a game that I've been following a bit, and I've been talking to the developers for a bit, and I have a friend who works there at Muzzy Lane, and this is a game making history. 
which kind of surprised me uh, by what I saw, uh, how my how positive my initial impressions were, especially when I talked to the developers. And we have some video, hopefully, getting edited of an interview with the developers. Did you guys have a chance to see Making History? Yes. Yep. Yes, I did. I now I did not play Making History one. Okay. I never. I, I will. I will admit that. Um, and so what I. And and I but I did get a little bit of time hands on because they had stations I, that what they were showing was making history to them right because yeah. I never saw like a launch screen yeah. so and it doesn't say anywhere on the screen what game you're playing no it's making um, history to they're showing yep it, it seemed really to me like some sort of like a mashup of playing Axis and Allies and diplomacy if diplomacy was set after you know in the middle of World War Two right. um and and it had that sort of Axis and Allies quality of um, doing a lot of worrying about buying and selling and uh, sort of unit management on a on on sort of a sort of a mid-level abstraction scale right you're right. not you're not certainly not controlling individual like this division that division you're certainly not controlling individual units and it's, it's not much, as deep and it's certainly not as deep as as hearts of iron no no not at all so it it, it feels more maybe a little bit more like a universal unit uh, un, Europa Universalis, and that you're sort of projecting power in a sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but but it seemed I, I I was intrigued, but I didn't get a real deep vibe from it. So I'm I'm curious what your thinking is on it, Troy, because you said you were really pleasantly surprised well, by this. Because well, speaking to the uh, producers and the designer and also the president of the company, first, it's, if you played um, the first Making History, the interface was it was designed as an educational game. Uh, which I thought was a mistake, because at first the interface was too poor to use in an educational game. You weren't going to be taking a game this complicated with this many menus into a classroom full of people who never play a World War II strategy game and say, now we're going to learn about World War II. It was a ridiculous concept to begin with, and then they did it. And it had a lot of bugs, and the economic interface was diff- was nigh uh, incomprehensible. I think there are still going to be some interface issues with Hearts of uh, with uh, Making History 2. Uh, but the really the thing that's got me excited uh, is the their new multiplayer system, and this is their big browser technology, the Sandstone system, where the idea is you can play this game in a browser pretty much anywhere at work, like an ordinary browser game, without installing it because of the saved games being uploaded somewhere, and it's a master network, and you can play the game in a browser, do your turn, and then go out without having the game installed on your computer. Which, which is think, awesome. Which is awesome, um, and I'm. I've, I'm hoping. I've, I've asked uh, the president of the company if we can get an early build, because I'd love for us to try that. Yeah, I'd love absolutely. for us to see how that works. I'm not sure what nations we'd be. I mean, Bruce, of course, has to be Germany because he's evil. Um, Tom has to be Italy because he's a coward. Uh, no, the Italians don't, don't write evil letters, and I love Italy. Uh, I just, I think this offers a great potential for. Bring strategy games back into the uh, multiplayer arena. Now, uh, the, game, the, the, the turn system that game, you're talking about yep. sounds an awful lot like, say, playing Travian or something like that. It right? really yeah. does. That's a vibe that I got. It took a while to understand exactly what the big deal was because one of the producers, was the manage, one of the managing directors was talking about the game and he was trying to explain why this was different from other status. I said, well, why is this not like the pit boss in Civilization? Why is this not like... X or Y, and it took fun of the designer to say, you have to understand, you don't need the game installed. That's right. a big thing. That's, uh, that's huge. That's, that's huge, because basically it means when you're buying the game, it almost doesn't matter whether you install it, to some extent, if you're going to play multiplayer, because yeah. you can just sort of play it from anywhere you are, which again, this this to me starts sounding like 
Uh, please don't yell at me. But it yeah. starts to sound like, geez, isn't this kind of what a really good strategy game on Facebook might be like? Connect with a big friends list and play yep. from any browser you can find. I'm all I'm all about this. Yeah, I think it's a it's a great idea and a great concept. And the game's changed some. I didn't get a great feel for how the diplomatic system works, but it's very icon centered, which is nice. Uh, the yeah, and I think that lends to the almost board gamey kind of feel to it. Yeah. Um, and the economic system has been simplified some. I think they overstate a bit how great it is to have. You know, you can see the cities grow as you add buildings. Well, yeah, but there's like the buildings are also tiny. <laughs> I don't know which ones are being added. I'm not going to be zooming in and out to check. Uh, but it's a game that I'm actually – I wasn't a big fan of the first Making History game. Um, but you know, I thought I'd check this out because I have a friend who works there, and uh, they're big fans of the show, and the president's a nice guy. Uh, but I, so I thought I'd check it out and be polite um, and then, of course, say the honest to God's truth, which was I didn't expect. I said, well, you know, we'll see what happens. But I'm actually kind of curious how this turns out, mostly for the multiplayer. Um, it could be a terrible game in the end, and if it is, hey, guys, I'm Leslie Lane, I'll tell you your game sucks if it does. Uh, but I do hope we get a chance to try it before it comes out so we can push this a little bit more. And I will have uh, some Muzzy Lane merchandise to offer uh, as prizes at the end of the show. Uh, so any other strategy stuff you saw that was interesting? Or, I mean, they, they had a roost playing, but it wasn't a hands-on. Right. I didn't even look at it. Didn't even look at it. Have you seen Roos? I played the beta. You're right. You played the beta. And you're playing that too, right? Yeah, I've been playing the beta. Right. I haven't. Everyone's talking to me about Roos. So, so, like, yeah, so a non-hands-on of a game that I have installed on my machine at home was not a big draw. <laughs> Is the beta good? Mm. Mm? I, haven't uh, played, I haven't played a ton of it. It's gorgeous. I really like it. I need to play more of it before yeah, I, I can give it. you a real opinion. So, well, yeah, I mean, it's just it's where I'm at with this game right now is I really liked what I've played, and I've I played probably like a dozen matches, you know, max. Um, That's a pretty solid amount of play for a beta. Yeah. Well, sort of, but I mean, one thing you have to understand is like these these matches are. You know, anywhere from like five to twenty minutes. Like I haven't had many that have gone like twenty-five minutes or beyond that. Right. Um, so I mean, these these are pretty quick hits. Um, and one thing I'm really enjoying is it's you know really simplified. It's got just an amazing interface. So, you know, I can't say enough good things about it. Um, but I you know I, I do wonder how would I feel about it you know after a few weeks of steady play. You know, because um, I, I just haven't I haven't figured out yet. Uh, you know, I'm still too early on the chick parabola, I guess. I'm still figuring it out. It's on the I way up. Yeah, yeah I, I can't really assess how, you know, how much depth is there. Mm. Uh, but so far, I'm I'm really impressed. And the ruse cards actually work, uh, you know, much better than I thought they would, actually. Um, it took me a bit to figure out how they work, but uh, the mechanics a lot more successful than I initially thought. That's cool. Oh, and, and Italy doesn't suck. Neither does France. <laughs> so I mean, yeah, right there, so. we're making we're making video game history. <laughs> they're, they're viable factions. Great. Uh, like I said, I saw Civilization, uh, and the 
preview is going to be coming out soon, and um, it's with the same presentation they've been giving. Uh, I thought it was interesting. The big, the two big things hit me when I saw Civilization. First, it, I can confirm there are flanking bonuses. Uh, no previews mentioned this before, and they didn't even mention it in the presentation. They just showed combat, and there's a number there. That's a flanking bonus. I noticed it. They didn't mention it. So I can officially confirm there are flanking bonuses in Civilization V. Uh, I don't know why they're not saying that. They're probably just saving it for a later moment, but if they're talking about the combat engine and all the range stuff and the neat stuff going on, I thought, why aren't they saying this? So I thought that was pretty cool that, you know, because once you've, I realize this presentation's, you know, something I've actually seen before or I've read about before. What I do is I always look in the margins for things that people are not mentioning. That's one of my practices as a previewer. And the other thing is, Julius Caesar is not the leader of the Romans. Dun, dun, dun. But it saying, is a Caesar. It's, of course, it's Augustus Caesar, but all the previous said, oh, and then you could be Julius Caesar. There are other Caesars, people. It's Augustus Caesar. It's right there, Augustus Caesar. So in all the previews, with Julius Caesar, cross off, go into your computer, and put a big Sharpie through it, or if you see Julius Caesar, and change it to Augustus, because it's wrong. And I don't want people to get that, mist- that mistake still out there, and I think it was even wrong in that preview you wrote, Julian. Uh, quite possibly could be, but I think that was most likely based on transcriptions of what we were told, not right. anybody seeing anything. Right. Very likely. Uh, but it, it looks great. I mean, it does. It's physics, I mean, as far as a, the beauty of the game, I was quite astonished. Um, just the difference in the graphical quality of the game compared to Civ Five, oh, which is not which is not an ugly game, but well, no, but Civ Four still has a very simplistic tile-based feel to it. Yeah. You know, uh, it reminded me of the blue marble mod for Civ Four. Oh, I never played that. You know, very deep, deep colors, um, and I was—it's just so pretty. Uh, I'm, I mean, I, I like a pretty game. I also like many ugly games, but a pretty game is good, and this is gonna be a very pretty game. Um, all kinds of other neat stuff going on in Civilization. You can do land grabs, which I thought was nice to learn about. You can, which means you can plop. Uh, settler down near resources and then buy up all the resources around so you have to wait for the borders to expand to do that um, the PR guy said well no the AI might not like that it's aggressive it's an aggressive move and that could have consequences but we'll see I mean it's Civ AI uh, we'll see how it turns out but I think that's a neat, neat concept the idea that you can buy up resources instead of waiting uh, for your borders to expand uh, it's a more aggressive strategy than the cultural strategy uh, but has the same effect so that was neat yep I, I'm very excited about it I'm, I'm very excited about it did you sit in on the demonstration I guess you didn't have to because you were no. busy doing all the other things no so uh, you were on two panels Julian I was I was I don't know how that happened but uh, I, was on the, I was on the death of print panel in which, which I saw during which I mostly pimped the iPad a lot uh, even though I don't have one yet. Uh, Did you and, order one? Uh, I, of course, of course. I'll be here on Saturday morning, God willing. Uh, wave of the future. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> kickboxing, sport of the future. You're Maybe such the a futurist. <laughs> um, and uh, does anybody get the kickboxing, sport of the future reference? Yep. I hope so. Okay. Say anything. You. Say anything, um, and uh, and then I was on the podcasting for PR panel, which was which was a blast. I had a, a really good time with that one. We had yeah. 
I blogged about the uh, Print is Dead panel, and you can see that on Flash of Steel if you're interested, and there will be a link to it at the bottom of the podcast, my opinions on that panel. It was a good panel, a very strong panel. Uh, What about the podcasting one, podcasting for PR? Now, you, this is uh, about how companies use podcasts to promote in-house work. Right. Exactly. And so I had I mean, I had I had Major Nelson on because he is the pimp daddy of pimping podcasts. He is, uh, uh, let's say who he is, since our listeners are so PC focused. Right. So he is the he is the voice of Xbox Live uh, and has done uh, like 300 podcasts for Xbox Live uh, since before the launch of the 360. Uh, and then we had uh, Ken Levine and Sean Elliott, who do the excellent Irrational Behavior podcast, which isn't about a game yet since they're not officially making a game yet. Um, so that's mostly like human interest stories and very much in the vein of something like Robert Ashley's Life Well Wasted. And uh, who else did we had? We had uh, James Stephen. We had Jeff Green, formerly of Games for Windows, now of uh, EA. Uh, and he was given much shit about his uh, tweeting of the Command and Conquer Ford fiasco. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, as yeah, well, that's Jeff. But that was part of the that was part of the shtick was to to grill these guys and say, hey, you know, if you're going to be out there as the mouthpiece for your companies, how can we trust you? Right. Unless you do things like, say, golly, I fired up CNC4 and I can't play it because the DRM sucks, which is pretty much what Jeff had done. Repeatedly, repeatedly, an entire day of tweets, it seemed. Yes. Well, unfortunately, I mean, I, I, I gather that this hasn't been that well received inside EA. So we'll see whether he still has a job at the end of the week. But <laughs> um, but yeah, but that was a that was a great panel. And, and we talked a little bit, too, about developers going on podcasts like ours and talking about um, their games and whether that's always good or bad. And I, I managed to uh, pepper it with some you know funny clips of Dennis Dyack losing it and things like that. So when did Dennis uh, Dyack lose it? When hasn't Dennis Dyack? <laughs> That's the right um, answer. Very good. <laughs> no, and his whole, like, when he was trying to take down NeoGAF thing, right. he went on one up and did, like, an hour diatribe on NeoGAF. Oh, that's right. He showed up with a book. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, like, and launched into this whole, like, intellectual moral defense of why he should take down NeoGAF or why NeoGAF was bad for humanity. It was let's, hysterical. Well, let's talk about the whole idea of developers coming on podcasts because we have developers on podcasts, you know, quite a bit, probably once a month, like to have a guest, sometimes journalists, uh, often uh, developers, designers, producers. We've had some really good people on. We probably have more in the future, lots of we want to get on. And some of them clearly come on to promote their ongoing project. That's fine with sure. us. They're, they're previewing a product that our audience is interested in. Uh, I'm negotiating on trying to get a very you know, popular uh, designer on sometime in April. It's a matter of time zones to figure out when we can get him on, uh, negotiating his schedule in hours. But he's clearly going to come on and talk about, you know, the next X uh, right. for uh, the game he works on. Um, what are the challenges uh, that came out of that panel that were addressed? I, I missed the panel. I wanted to go to it, but... Well, I think I think the main one is is simply that of honesty, right? That that it's very easy. I think it's just particularly the case for a podcast that is put on by the developer, because now you've got the opportunity to have a completely unedited, un you know, yeah. heavily filtered view, right? So if Brad Wardell decides to do his own podcast, he maybe they have to, one. He used to do his own podcast. Um, you're not going to expect to hear him say something 
compromising about Elemental, right? right. He's going to he, that that would be heavily produced. But if we have Brad on the show to talk about Elemental, it, first of all, it's going to be at least two against one, maybe four against one. So if we're going to grill somebody, they're going to get grilled, and we'll hear how they react. And so there's at least an opportunity, I think, for more honesty in those situations than there is when it's just coming straight from the mouthpiece. And we and we saw this with. Oh my gosh, who was it that we savaged so horribly? Walker? Mark Walker. Oh, Mark Walker. Oh, not my it finest ever. It wasn't that bad. It was great. I still feel bad about that. But, but, but again, that was one of those situations where we, for better or I think in that case for worse, I'm not proud of it. You know, we, we had the developer on his heels talking about his game and sort of defending decisions that, you know, I think in that case, Bruce and I questioned and didn't think were so great. Um, so, I think those are super, super valuable, but there's a bit of a dance there, right? Because if right. we're too tough on those guys, then they're not going to come on. Right. Yeah, it's always a tough uh, line to walk. I mean, it's for entertainment. I mean, let's we're not cracking the Pentagon Papers here, um, and we value our relationships with developers. We're going to tell them when their games are terrible, but if they're on here as our guests, you know, we want to have give them some courtesy. Hopefully, won't be as rude as I was to Mark, right? Yeah. Uh, there's you know, some level of courage has to be extended, and um, there's always another line you know, when they're promoting a product. You want them to come on and talk about their product because it gives our listeners uh, an inside peek as to what's going on, especially if it's a game that hasn't come out yet. When we had uh, Brad on to talk about um, Demigod and also the early days of Elemental last year, you know, we wanted to get on and answer questions about Elemental. That was why we are doing it. We thought, right. wow, this would be great. This is good for our listeners. Um, we were certainly going to be critical about Elemental. We hadn't seen any of it. No one had seen any of it. And the whole point of it was to have him on to say, hey, we have Brad talking about Elemental. You should download our podcast. Uh, we're promoting ourselves based on that kind of access. Um, and developers know this. And it's as a journalist, uh, it's not something that you know, you're especially – something you're going to boast about. Wow, I have a developer friend in my back pocket. Uh He'll come on the show any time as long as I don't give him any shit. But, you know, it's part of the dance of the podcast because uh, we are an informational show. And I do want listeners to, you know, feel like they know these developers. But it, it, it's hard. Um, it's, a, it's a tough line to walk. Uh, how was the uh, audience response to the podcast? Besides uh, all, I, I think they, besides I all think, woo, Jeff Green, woo, woo, Jeff Green. Well, there was it was a little bit of a love-in. Um, but I tried to make it a little bit tough. I mean, I came up with examples of each one of these guys being an idiot at some point in their <laughs> career on, on, on radio. Um, you know, I mean, I had, I had, you know, Ken Levine. When has Ken Levine ever been an idiot? Oh, he was trying to defend the, the control scheme for Lair on our podcast at Gamers with Jobs, which is indefensible in case <laughs> there's any question there. Uh, and we, I, you know, I had Major Nelson trying to get people to give him his gamer, their gamer tags. And we had anecdotes about how that didn't work out so well for every, anybody who gave their gamer tag over the air and then had to deal with a thousand people saying, would you be my friend? Um, so, I mean, I think that it was, it was widely, it was very well received. Everybody loved it and it was very funny. I mean, I had, I luckily, you know, the good news is everybody who's on the panel is somebody who's actually performing for a living on a regular basis. So right. they were all very entertaining, right? Um, so Rob, you would, I understand they're going to be moving, uh, PAX East next year. Um, you know, that's the word. I, I just, I just heard that, um, you know, I mean, first of all, there, there were a lot of problems with people getting into panels. Certainly I, I suffered from that problem. Um, it was, flow was not great. The rooms weren't 
you know, large enough. Um, it was just cramped. It wasn't a, it wasn't a great space for that kind of conference. And I heard, you know, I think from you, Julian, that, um, you know, Gabe and Tycho were, were not happy with right. the way this convention center made everything go. Yeah, it was um, it was just clearly. Way, I mean, the 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 door count. I'm I just saw a joystick was fifty three, almost fifty three thousand people. That's a lot of people to try to cram into, you know, the main theater, which was the biggest space. I think held about three thousand people. Yeah, and the panel rooms yeah. all held about three hundred or four hundred. Uh, I think the largest might have held five hundred. So that's a lot of people not doing big events. Right. And and yep. all of the little rooms for things like, uh, you know, the little arcade they set up or the board right. game rooms. There were a lot of rooms, but there were lots of little rooms. I mean, most of the board game rooms only had maybe a dozen tables in them, but there were like 10 of them. And uh, that's one reason why they were, you know, shepherding everybody out of panel rooms. You couldn't just park right. a seat and sit in the neck. You already seen a right. panel. You've got to go out and give somebody else a chance right. uh, to see a panel. So you couldn't just so sit there. So they're moving there and... into the to the new big giant Boston Convention Center, which yeah, is massive and state of the yeah, art and but, all that stuff, but in the middle of uh, no, it's on the waterfront. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was the great thing about where this was. Is there were so many great little restaurants and pubs around. Um, Great, great neighborhood, easy to walk. Uh, I showed up and I realized I didn't have enough shirts, uh, but I could easily walk to a yeah, Marshall. You, can't, you can blocks. never get a you can never get a free shirt at a fan convention. I was gonna, I, yeah, I was, I was gonna walk around with a press badge and a Red Dead Redemption shirt. I had to look like a freaking idiot. <laughs> no, that wasn't gonna happen. Uh, so I, you know, I walked. I asked the concierge where to go. I walked down to Marshalls, and that was it. Uh, it was really easy. Uh, my friend who was with me, she there was a Trader Joe's there, so she could get her favorite mustard because they don't have it where she is. That's it, important. It is important. Favorite mustard. It is. It's, it's important to have you know these little things around to be, actually be in a neighborhood. And this felt like a neighborhood. Lots of little bars uh, up and down the street. Um, you could always find some place that wasn't completely and totally packed because there were so many of them. Though there were a lot of crowds in many others, so I I really like the neighborhood. I, if I do go to Pax East next year, and I hope I do, because Boston, you're a great great town, great people. Um, I I'm gonna miss. Is there, is there any anything around the new convention center? I'm not looking much. at it. Not much. They, it has been built out. I actually used to have. I used to live in a loft right across the street from where they built that convention center. You used and to live in then, a loft. I did like. 15 years ago um and it was and then it was this just starting to gentrify industrial neighborhood mm-hmm. and uh you know and i was young and i could afford to buy a loft there um and they were just starting to be like a restaurant here and a diner there um but there was no public transportation at all now when they build this thing out there are a bunch of restaurants down in that area so it's not completely devoid of population there are a bunch of hotels that are actually like there and connected to the to the convention center but there's certainly no there's no flavor to it at all. It, it, you might as well have it in Cleveland, which is sad. Yeah. If you live in Cleveland and would like to send hate mail <laughs> to Joseph Murdoch, his Sign email address is, uh, as I mentioned earlier, I have a few guests, gifts uh, from Muzzy Lane. They were passing out uh, boxes of the original Making History, and they gave me a few, one of which went to the good friend of mine who picked me up at the airport and i have two others uh to pass out question is well how will we decide who gets them i could just do a simple draw again 
or I could, you know, have a real contest, uh, a history question contest. Let's ask a question, a history question about three moves ahead. Let's see. You're you're going to ask one of us? I'm gonna, no, I'm going to ask the audience. They have to answer, go back through and send me the answers. Got to figure out uh, what question to ask. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, in episode 22, even tell you where to look. Episode 22 of the podcast, we talked about Blood Bowl sports sims. Our guest was Bill Abner, and. Uh, Bruce Garrick mentioned an old baseball simulation game, which I was surprised anybody else owned. I thought I was the only idiot who had this instead of Stratomatic or Appa, and he mentioned it, and this was uh, a game that we both played, and he held it up as a model of you know baseball simulation and play. If you can go to episode 22 and email me, Troy dot goodfellow at gmail.com the name of that sports simulation your name will be entered into a draw for one of two copies of the original making history then i'll throw it in the post to you there we go history question i'm actually going to start asking questions because i'm getting too random number generators suck how do you do contests and gamers with jobs julian i roll dice of course you do I have 20-sided dice right here, and then, you know they they count from one to ten. So everybody's names in the spreadsheet, and you just roll dice until you you know narrow things down. I probably have a d20 somewhere in the house. Wait, I hope so. Wait, you you might not have a d20. I I I probably do. I'm just not quite sure where they are. Not like I play D and D every week like you, Julian. Oh, only with kids. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds better. Have a seat over there. Uh, <laughs> Uh, it was very great meeting you guys, uh, Julian and Rob. I'm glad that we connected in person. Um, and I, also I'm, all the I, fans. I regret, that I, I regret that I called Rob a monster, though. He now is. I feel bad about that. Yeah, I had the good fortune to stay with Rob and MK uh, one night, my last night there. He is a monster. <laughs> it's pretty much true. I was expecting, you know, to wake up in the middle of the night with my bones being ground into bread. But, you know... <laughs> It didn't happen. Uh, Rob, thank you and MK for putting me up that night. Uh, it saved me another $8,000 at the hotel. Uh, Julian, so glad we got a chance to touch base and meet in person. And Absolutely. You di- I didn't get your cold. I did not get what oh, I got sick God. as hell. I'm you did. recovered. Yeah, you're sounding much better now. That only, you've, only, you've only coughed 12 times uh, during the show. That's great. So once again... Listeners, the uh, contest, episode 22, what game do, did Bruce uh, mention, baseball simulation? And we'll, that'll be the name of the podcast. Listeners who we met in Boston, thanks for coming uh, to the salon. Hope to do it again, and we'll probably try to have one of these, you know, whenever we can. Uh, Rob can handle the Boston end, and I'll do the DC end, and Julian can do the he can handle whatever deer listen to us. Yes, whatever wildlife happens to wander through his <laughs> yard. And also to all my colleagues who I met both for the first time and uh, for and again, it's very good seeing you, and I hope to see you all at E3. Say goodbye, everyone. Goodbye, everyone. Good night. <laughs>